welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. The title of this week's episode is The Value of a Clear Operating Standard. The Value of a Clear Operating Standard. And to introduce this topic, I want to tell you a story that happened this weekend that I found very inspiring, that there's a risk that you will find completely boring because it has to do with uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a very uh, intense hobby of mine, but of no interest to most of you. But I'm going to try to explain it in a way that will make it interesting to you and that will, will make clear why I found it inspiring and why this issue of a clear operating standard is so central. So this weekend was something called the Abu Dhabi Combat Club Submission Fighting Championships. And so this is basically a tournament that's held every two years where it's the best people at a certain kind of martial art. And I, I call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but you can think of it as, as grappling. So these are, the, these are people who are fighting not by punching and kicking, but by grabbing onto each other. So you might be familiar with wrestling or judo or jiu-jitsu. And so this this tournament is is very prestigious, and it's it's people, it's the best grapplers from around the world are competing with one another, and it's it's called submission fighting. And so the 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 best thing that you can possibly do, and this is the key, the best thing you can possibly do in these competitions is you submit somebody, which make, means you make them them quit in some way. They usually it's known as tapping out. They usually tap, um, you know tap your body with their their hand or they yell out or something to say in effect uncle as as people I think in my parents generation used to say when they when they give up and so the reason the reason for that and the re- reason why this is kind of interesting uh, in terms of martial arts and self defense is that in real life if you can defend yourself in a way that you can get another person to completely quit, that's a very, very effective skill. So what these people are really showcasing is who can be the best at this skill. So point one that's key just in terms of understanding this is that the best thing that you can do in this tournament is you can make someone quit. You can make them submit. Uh, point number two, though, is that that's not usually the way that these matches end. It's it's very hard to submit somebody and these people are very high level and people don't like getting submitted. So they, they spend a lot of time and effort to avoid getting submitted. And so what, what there is, if you can't submit somebody is a point system. So you can't, so for instance, a way of submitting somebody is you, you strangle them. And so you wrap your arms around their neck in a certain way and you control their body in a certain way and then they have to give up. Otherwise they would fall asleep. And it's actually quite a humane way of, of fighting because as long as they, as long as they quit, and as long as you let go, which is almost all, what almost always happens, then nobody gets injured. But because it's really hard to submit people, the often matches are won by points, and that just means that you get in a position that's considered better, but you don't actually submit somebody. So one thing might be, uh, basically, if if you can somehow climb on somebody else's back or be behind somebody, you are rewarded for that, and it makes a lot of sense because in a real fight, if you can get behind somebody they have very little means of defending themselves. So what was really impressive at this tournament is that there was one person and then but who had teammates too who who shared a particular um, you know particular quality that stood out which is that this person 
would just submit almost everybody he faced. And so it's a, it's a guy named Gordon Ryan, who's somebody who hasn't been doing this art for very long, but he, he was the best person by far in the tournament. He, he had, you have your weight division, so he won his weight division, and then they combine all the weight divisions, and he won that too. So that's called the absolute. And it was eight total matches, and he submitted six out of eight people, which is uh, incredibly, incredibly rare. And then another thing to note is that he not only did not get submitted himself, but he didn't. nobody even scored one point on him. Really, nobody got any advantage on him at all during this tournament. And then with most of the other people participating, they're amazing athletes, but they are submitting people quite rarely. And they're winning by very, very small margins, and people are making mistakes on both sides, and people are squeaking out with a victory. And again, it's it's amazing. I mean, these are amazing athletes, but there was this one person who stood out, but another thing was he wasn't, there were other people who were somewhat like him. There were other athletes who, a relatively high percentage of the time would win by this method of submission, which is both the most inspiring and most exciting way to win. And what's notable about almost all of the athletes who fought this way is that they all share the same coach. And the coach, I've mentioned him on a previous episode, which is the the episode on the search for superior systems. And his name is John Danaher, and one interesting thing about him is that by background, he is a philosopher, and some decades ago, he fell in love with the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and more broadly, grappling, and decided to dedicate his life to understanding that and teaching that, and has become known for teaching it to, uh, in particular, high-level competitors in both grappling and also what's called mixed martial arts or MMA, or you may know it as UFC because it often it takes place at the highest level in the ultimate fighting championships. So this guy, Gordon Ryan, and his teammates, they were all submitting people at much, much higher rates than just about anyone else in the tournament, even though in the tournament, these are, these are the highest level people from around the world with the highest level coaches from around the world. So there's there's a lot of energy going into success in this venue and yet this one group of people with this one particularly exceptional individual are coming from this one coach and I was watching it and particularly it was a Saturday and Sunday tournament I got to go live on Saturday and then I watched online on Sunday and I was just thinking about why what what makes these guys so different. And I've, I've studied the coach, John Danher. I actually got to meet him, take a private lesson from him about 10 years ago in person for an hour. But I was, and and I've read his interviews and he writes a lot of posts on Instagram and Facebook that are very thoughtful. And I just, something, something crystallized for me, which he said before, but it really, it really hit me which is he's, he describes jiu-jitsu as the science of control that leads to submissions. That means you're trying to control the other person's body with the aim of submitting them. And it just occurred to me that the reason that his students, or at least a reason why his students are so successful and so successful at achieving this very difficult goal is that submission seems to be their operating standard. And remember, these competitions, there's 
there's you can submit somebody, but you can also win by points. And what happens by default is because it's hard to submit somebody, it's relatively easier to win by points, is most people are coached and trained for the most part to win by points. And then submission is a bonus. But the way Danaher thinks of it, he really thinks of it as, no, your goal is to submit somebody. And if you do not submit somebody, then you really have not succeeded. So even if you even if you win a tournament, you have not really succeeded in the way that he defines success. And you could see this with Gordon Ryan, who was the star of the tournament. His main reaction after he won was, well, I failed to submit two of the people. And so I'm happy, but I'm not satisfied. Whereas most people would have been over the moon with one-tenth of Gordon Ryan's performance. But it was, it was interesting that he had this really clear operating standard of submission. And what, what I just knowing something about jiu-jitsu and having experience, I can see how if that's if that's your clear operating standard as a coach, then what you're going to do with whatever ability you have, and Dan or her obviously has exceptional ability, is you are going to figure out and coach people on ways to get to that goal as efficiently as possible versus focusing on submission as one thing, but points as a lot of it. And what I could just see as I was watching these, I could see, yes, these are people who've been trained and coached with this standard as, as a guide constantly. And so what happens is they just evolve into these different animals. They, they are able to, they are able to uh, achieve this goal so much more adeptly than other people because that's been their operating standard. So it hasn't been, I think with many people, it's a derivative standard or it's a competing standard to the standard of winning a competition. But for these guys and for this coach in particular, it's an operating standard. Now, there's a lot that goes into the success of this team and this coach, and I don't pretend to understand uh, a lot of it. And But I know that this is one of the big things that's going on, and the reason why it was so powerful to me is I was just thinking about how it applies to my own life and my own work in particular. It's very inspiring to see the in some in a, in art that I really enjoy to see these people who are exceptional practitioners and who are having these unique results even in a competitive setting. But I can see if you've got this one standard that you're operating on and everyone else is more muddled than all things being equal, you're going to get better results. And then another aspect of what they're doing is that they are really pursuing superior systems. So if you're interested in that, I discussed that a little bit on the episode of the search for superior systems. And in particular, I was trying to apply this idea of a clear operating standard to my own work on a book. I had written my, my first major book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, about five years ago, and I've been working on a revision. And as I was as I was thinking about this issue of a clear operating standard and thinking about my book, I noticed that I didn't have a clear enough operating standard in revising this book. I fell prey to the idea, uh, to the problem, the very common problem of having clear, having competing standards rather without any kind of clear hierarchy. So I don't want to talk actually about what I would regard the operating standard as now because I want to save that until I'm done with it, but I'll just share some of the different competing standards that I hadn't fully resolved. 
So one thing is, one kind of standard is profit. And I think this is something that particularly intellectuals underutilize. And this, this means that, okay, if I'm undertaking this book, am I undertaking it in a profitable way? Am I investing time and resources, but the biggest resources of my time, am I investing that in a way that's going to lead to a financial return? Or am I doing this as a costly hobby? Because if I don't do it in a way that leads to a financial return, then it becomes a costly hobby. And if it's going to be a costly hobby, then I have to identify that it's a costly hobby. So that's, that's one kind of thing. How, where does profit fit in to my operating standard or my hierarchy of standards? Another consideration is creative enjoyment. So I really like thinking about the the issues related to fossil fuels. There's all sorts of interesting economic and scientific and political issues that all fit together that I think most people are thinking about in a very wrong way, and, and those are very fun to think about. But there's a question, where does this fit in? Is that my goal? Is the goal of the book to just allow me to do creative thinking, or is that derivative from the perspective of the book? That's going to shape a lot of things. And, and one thing I'll clue you in on is that, for me, one thing that has made me take longer on the book is that I wasn't clear enough about this issue and that sometimes I would be self-indulgent thinking, saying, well, I want to think about, I want to spend a week thinking about this issue that's really interesting to me. Well, but is it crucial to the purpose of the book? Well, that purpose has to be really defined. Otherwise, things get out of control because if I'm, if I'm just doing whatever I find really interesting in a sort of hobby and personal way, well, then that can, that can definitely compromise profitability. So, so far, some considerations can be profit, creative enjoyment. Uh, another one is influence. Where, where in, my, in terms of my standards and purposes does influence fit in? Do I want to influence the next election? What kind of people do I want to influence? That's going to, that's going to influence a lot about how the book takes shape. Another one that's definitely part of the picture, but the key is how do all these these things fit together is the desire to clarify issues for other people, not just I want to influence them to act in a certain way, but I find it very, very satisfying to help people think more clearly about issues, particularly crucial, complex, controversial issues like what to do about fossil fuels. Related to that, and somewhat related to the creative thing, but not exactly the same thing as clarifying this issue for myself. There are certain aspects of the fossil fuel issue that I still wanted to be clearer on. And so how much of that is relevant? And there are a number of other issues, but five should be enough where I think you can imagine that if, if there's not a clear hierarchy of standards and there's not one clear operating standard that is really at the center of things, then it's easy for things to sprawl out of control. And for the result, then not to be as impressive because, at least as impressive in a given amount of time because effort is being, is being spread in so many different ways. So a question I'm going to be asking myself in the next several weeks, and I'd invite you to ask the same, is what is your operating standard? And you might start off with your, your career life, your creative life, but also think about other areas and think about is there, is there one thing I can identify as this is the standard, and then everything else can be optimized for that. Because if you can, if you can find something and define a standard in a way 
that really has that role. It just allows incredible focus and incredible achievement. And when that's not done, then it can just lead to sprawling and non-achievement and frustration. And this can be true in one's creative life, but it can also be true in different aspects of personal life. So that is today's show. I hope that I hope that the jiu-jitsu example was clear enough where you could get the idea of a clear operating standard, even though many of you will have no interest in jiu-jitsu. Although if you think you might be interested in jiu-jitsu, you should check it out because it is a really it is a really fascinating activity in terms of, I don't know of any other activity where you get a combination of physical immersion and, and just involving one's physical body, but also having an unlimited number of interesting kinds of problems to solve. But whatever your activity, I think if you look at, at different people, the, the issue of an operating standard will be powerful. Actually, let me give one more example because I, I thought of this in connection with the Danaher example. And this is, this is going to be probably a clearer example for most people, although I don't know all the details. But it's the, the basic outline is there was, I think it was some, some British rowing team. I think it was an Olympic rowing team. But the basic idea, it was, it was a rowing team. And what they did is they, for some period of time before the Olympics or before some major competition, they would ask one question to decide everything that they did in their lives. And that question was, will it make the boat go faster? Will it make the boat go faster? So anything they were thinking of in terms of, do I go out tonight? What do I eat? Um, Do we have this person on the team? I don't know all the considerations involved in rowing at all, but this, this was something where I know it was a it was a very broad it was a question with very broad ranging implications that is they would optimize everything toward that purpose. Now, it's not going to be the case that everyone wants to have only one purpose like that and is preparing for an Olympics, but it does show the power of that kind of focus of just having this one operating standard and then everything gets evaluated and acted upon by that standard. And so insofar as a certain kind of result is really important to us. That kind of, will it make the boat go faster is, is very instructive. And actually I've been thinking in terms of, because I have a book deadline later this year, will it make the book go faster? And that has been a fascinating operating standard to use because I think, okay, do I do it? And it, it has two main kinds of effects at least. So one is that it leads to new creativity. I think of new things that I can do to make the book go faster, including, well, here's how my team can help with this and this and this to make this part of the book go faster. But another thing is it excludes certain things. So if I think, hey, you know, I really want to research this person. He has this interesting argument about uh, climate. And then I ask, okay, will that make the book go faster? Do I really need that for the book? And it depends on the purpose of the book, but often it's no, that would be interesting. Maybe that's a hobby. Maybe you can do that some other time, but insofar as you want to make the book achieve its goals on a short timetable, you got to ask, will it make the book go faster? And so will it make the boat go faster? That's a, that's a good model for if we really want to achieve something, then define the core of the achievement in terms of an operating standard and then apply that standard as consistently as possible. The more consistently we apply it, the more we can get that result. 
So that is today's show. I would also just say, not that they will listen to this, but uh, congratulations to John Danaher and to Gordon Ryan. It was a really amazing performance in my own in my own view is the best performance ever in that tournament. And that's my favorite tournament. I've watched some great performances. There was a guy named uh, Roger Gracie in 2005 that I got to see live and he won all eight of his matches by submission, but he, one of them, he actually, the guy, uh, the guy quit. So the guy, guy got over, overtired, but even that, even that as amazing as that was, I don't think that was as dominant a performance in the sense that, this guy, Gordon Ryan, did not, I mean, nobody did anything against him. Whereas when Roger Gracie was fighting, people made, like he got into some really sticky situations, or at least one really sticky situation. And it was just impressive how these these guys have such a system where they have this standard and then just every little thing is optimized. And and someone said afterward that that Gordon Ryan, can, he considers it a failure if one person gets one move on him, like one step to submission he considers unacceptable. So it's just really inspiring to see people who just have a really clear purpose and then are just pursuing it with uh, such a, a systematic approach and then actually making it work in reality with all of the effort and hard work and courage that it takes to do that. But for the rest of you, will it make the boat go faster is probably a good way of retaining today's point about an operating standard. Okay, next episode, we will probably be discussing the book Flow again. We've done two episodes on that. There's still a lot more to talk about, so I will be back in two weeks, most most likely on that topic. In the meantime, if you want to get notifications about this podcast, go to humanflourishingproject.com and sign up. If you have any questions or want to discuss anything, go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash human flourishing project. And if you have any questions, comments, love mail or hate mail for me, you can email me at alex at alexepstein.com. As always, no promise for a response, but I read and appreciate them all. Okay. Hope you have a great two weeks. Until next time, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project.